Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include but are not limited to professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ therefore forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We are your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, is toxic masculinity based? So Tim, why don't you just kick us off by answering that question? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I guess in order to try to answer a question like that, you, you have to define what based is, because this is a internet slang that probably most people are unfamiliar with but yeah full disclosure by the way i had to have tim <laughs> explain to me what based was i've seen it used but i just didn't have a functioning understanding of what the the word actually meant when people use it as slang i actually yeah i actually had no idea what the word meant either until i was following the kyle rittenhouse trial and um essentially uh, one of the articles before the verdict came out was that the verdict in the trial was that kyle rittenhouse was based in a total chad so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so th- this definitely seems like a more uh, scholarly or academic <laughs> right. term right <laughs> that's right right i had to look it up and uh, but but essentially the idea based it, it is kind of it used to be a term a rapper used but then it's uh, translated into kind of uh, alt-right slang to essentially mean courageous or being oneself and not caring what others think about you essentially so being authentic not caring about what others think and just kind of uh, it mixed with an element of courage that's that's basically what it means okay as far as that goes. And so if you try to think about the the broader question, though, is toxic masculinity based? Well, I think um, masculinity itself is obviously under attack as a society right now. So the idea of masculinity itself is being defined as toxic. So anything to do with like real biblical masculinity or distorted masculinity is all being lumped under a broader category of essentially being um toxic and and so the yeah the answer to the question is that yes i mean there is a certain courage required to be masculine period and all of masculinity is now being described as toxic so so we have to figure out how to navigate in that kind of framework for sure okay so according to you toxic masculinity is actually based now <laughs> when when you're using that term 
toxic masculinity. Are you using it? What What are you? What exactly are you meaning when you're when you're saying toxic masculinity? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the adjective toxic is an unfortunate adjective that's being put on the idea of masculinity. I, I think that there's always been uh, this category of biblical masculinity. So there's there's always been this idea of um, biblical masculinity as defined by the Bible. And then there's been, you know, in different cultures have described it in different way, but, you know, the idea of the machismo or the macho man or <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> uh, there's there's that distortion of masculinity too. So everyone has been aware of there, there is such a thing as real masculinity. And then there are distorted um depictions of masculinity that can either be harmful or somewhat comical at times, right? Mm-hmm. So I th- I'm sure you could think of examples of comical, over-exaggerated masculinity that's relatively harmless. Um, yeah, like, yeah, I don't know, like Ron Swanson or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that. That kind of thing. Like there, There's always been kind of comical, you know, uh, you know, exaggerated manliness or or something. And then, uh, but then there's, there's also kind of like what might be described as, I mean, you could describe it as toxic masculinity, uh, which would be uh, masculinity that kind of becomes harmful. But then I I don't particularly like that as an adjective because, you know, I I feel like we're living in a society right now that um, essentially has no place for suffering in relationships at all. Okay. and so, uh, like, just conceptually, try to imagine the idea of toxic femininity or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's clearly like femi- femininity can become destru- destructive in certain ways, and mm-hmm. so there is a like legitimate concept of femininity, and then femininity can be exaggerated or distorted to where it's. Um, you know, unpleasant to be around, to put it mildly, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. But then no one would want to describe it as toxic, so toxic femininity, as if, like, one a person has some sort of moral obligation to remove themselves from a situation where femininity is being expressed in a harmful way or something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, the whole idea of toxic masculinity does kind of import into this... Um, uh, conversation, this moral imperative to essentially, if your husband is um, treating you poorly, then you need to get out of there. There's some moral mandate towards self care and get, you know, you must leave him uh, because you don't deserve that. And because, you know, fundamentally to be around him would be to poison you and, to, you know, that kind of thing, engage in self harm. And so I, I don't, I don't particularly like the category, but there's clearly, um, what you might describe as biblical masculinity. And then there's clearly what you might describe as kind of exaggerated masculinity. And then, you know, there's a, there's a, a sinful, um, uh, what, what you might describe as, um, uh, uh, sinful tendencies, which are common, uh, uh, uh common poor responses to you know, what might be described as masculinity too. And so th- there's all, th- there's all sorts of categories that you could think through as it relates to that. Okay, so when you're using the term toxic masculinity, uh, for example, like when we're answering the title question, essentially you're acknowledging that the term has a lot of overlap at this point with what we would just call biblical masculinity. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, we're living in a world right now that's trying to smash the patriarchy, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh 
the the world we live in define like anything that is masculinity is going to be of necessity put in a category of toxic masculinity so there is no such thing as masculinity or femininity anymore because a larger project of egalitarianism and feminism is to basically take these words and empty them of meaning Mm -hmm. so whatever masculinity is is by definition bad and toxic and must be avoided and fought at all cost if that makes sense okay so there is no like masculinity by definition in our society is toxic (laughs) Mm -hmm. meaning you have some moral imperative to you know, flee from and fight. Okay. So, so yes, I mean like to be then, so, but then that could include, you know, harmful expressions of masculinity, helpful expressions of masculinity and exaggerated expressions of masculinity. All of that is considered, you know, toxic Mm -hmm. (laughs) by definition. So then, yes, I mean, to be true, like to be biblically masculine, that would be considered toxic masculinity and that would require courage. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, there is uh, harmful expressions of masculinity that are um, things that the Christian should avoid, uh, or Christ- like, avoid personifying. <laughs> okay. As far as that. Why don't you um, maybe just take some time and explain to us then, start off by uh, maybe giving us a description of what biblical masculinity looks like. And then after that, we can talk about what are the exaggerations of it. Well, maybe, yeah, why don't we do that in the, why don't, why don't I just, um, in trying to answer what you're saying, I think I'll just talk about what manliness is, period. Okay. Like, like as our culture defines it, and then we can um, pick it apart. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So <laughs> I did a very scientific study to try to figure out what man uh, manliness is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> by watching some YouTube videos on it. Huh? Okay. <laughs> and uh, YouTube is one of those things that is predominantly male. And so if you want to get a good idea what manliness actually is like the good, the bad and the ugly, right? Mm-hmm. Just watch a bunch of YouTube videos and you'll find out what manliness is. Uh, but then I watched some videos like uh, that were uh, just out of curiosity, just to see like how the, how the pagans are mapping this kind of thing. Right. And so, like, what do the pagans typically think of as, like, manliness in general? And uh, after watching a few videos, here's here's a short list I came up with, okay? So, what is manliness according to you know, the world we live in? Well, doing hard physical labor, what do you think? Uh, do I think that's manly? Yeah, yeah. You associate that with manliness? Yeah. Like cutting some wood or yeah i mean like like yeah like captain america ripping the wood with his bare yeah. hands that's, pr- that's gotta be pretty masculine yeah, right? be pretty, uh, yeah so all right so so far we're like we were resonating uh playing sports or games yeah so men men typically i mean you think about what men do how do they spend their time they play sports right. they play games right like that like they much more than women do mm-hmm. um yeah, so in both of those categories uh, eating meat <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does anything say manliness more than uh, a steak? (laughs) Most of the like dry age steak YouTube channels that I watch, they're all guys. (laughs) What do you associate with femininity more? Don't you associate vegetables Uh, with femininity? Like a salad. (laughs) Yeah. No, but think about this. Like, uh, what what is what are the building blocks of muscle? Protein, right? Right. Where do you get protein? Meat. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, is it like a shock that that's connected with manliness, eating meat? Like, 
I mean, if you want to get a bunch of protein, how do you do it? <laughs> right. Right. And so uh, some of these things are kind of funny. Uh, so there's uh, interest in debate in general. So men are much likely to engage in debate than uh, women are likely to engage in debate. Mm hmm. Often, I mean, if you think about gender stereotypes along those lines, women like to chit-chat and men like to discuss. That's just kind of the way things are. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking responsibility in general is considered manly. Um, so, um, you know, getting up and going to work, working long hours. Um, you, you just imagine the kind of guy, like this can, like this idea of taking responsibility. Like um, you just think about soldier kind of metaphors or analogies. The bomb drops on the ground. A guy, you know, comes up and throws himself on it, right? Another Captain America reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate male, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the no, pinnacle. I mean, but there's, yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of like times throughout history where, you know, extreme sacrifices are required and, you know, typically um, it's been the men who step up and sacrifice their lives in order to accomplish the objectives, right? Mm-hmm. So taking responsibility, you know, honoring the weaker vessel. I mean, we used to think that it was manly to kind of hold a door open for a woman, kind of <laughs> those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like those those are uh, tied to traditional masculinity. Facial hair, facial hair. Is that's, there anything that screams manliness more than the beard? That's definitely <laughs> masculine. And I'm, and I'm certainly not biased. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> uh, now, uh, y- y- typically with manliness, there is this idea of picking on someone weaker. <laughs> okay. <So. laughs> kind of so, shifting I mean, that, gears here, I guess. <laughs> hey, I, I'm giving you a list. I'm okay. giving you a list yeah. of what I found on YouTube. Right, so the idea right. of p- picking on people. So, I mean, think about picking on someone, laughing at someone who's different, you know, engaging. So that could either, either be verbal or physical. Like that's typically things that are associated with women, uh, like uh, more like mockery, um, open mockery or like physically, you know, roughing someone up or something like that. Uh, typically that isn't uh, it, so much the province of uh Females, as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're more I'd like say, the burn book type. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. More yeah, passive aggressive in that way yeah. or uh, subtle. Um, distaste for sharing one's feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, there was a discussion a, fr- a couple of friends of mine had. They read a book that essentially sa- said that uh, men don't understand friendship because uh, they defined friendship as essentially um, – a, a uh, friendship doesn't happen until you share one's feelings, but then this isn't really the way manly friendships work. But mm. men g- in general don't like to share one's feelings, and and that that would be a typical um, uh, gen- uh, gender stereotype along those lines. Whereas like, for women, you feel close once you share your feelings in that kind of way. And typically with men, it's more like you you feel close to people when you're engaged on a shared quest or mission or have something in common, uh, mm-hmm. common interests that you do together. And so we're different along those lines. Uh, if you want to think about like um, other things that could, uh, are, are, are considered manliness, like lack of cleanliness, <laughs> odors, <laughs> being dirty uh-huh. or gross. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, typically women don't throw themselves headlong into disgusting situations in the same kind of frequency as men, right? Right. Um, um, so then you have like strength uh, also associated with manliness, like opening the pickle jar or something like that. Um, sometimes insensitivity, I would say insensitivity is associated with manliness. Um, and then often just kind of a, a concern for justice or fairness. Mm-hmm. 
uh, is associated with masculinity in that women typically, I mean, women are more interested in how things make people feel than on whether or not it's right. And if you want to understand what I mean, just like observe uh, all the college football discussions about refs and <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, so there is like in men, um, um, I, I've noticed this as I played board games with women over the years. You know, I'm much more interested in you know policing the rules than mm-hmm. than the vast majority of women are. You know, <laughs> they mm-hmm. can be uh, somewhat subjectively applied, <laughs> but but <laughs> every guy knows what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then humor, humor, like uh, if um, like just look at YouTube. Like YouTube is uh, like a, a monument to like. Uh, how exaggerated or how important sense of humor is for men mm-hmm. uh, as far as that goes. Um, you know, a lot of YouTubers just jokes and games, right? Right. And there's no shock that it's mostly men going to YouTube as far as that goes. So those are just some things that I think, uh, did, did, did you, do you see anything on there that you just wanted to object to you thought was crazy? Is there anything that I think I want to object to? Yeah, I mean, on that list as what people typically associate with masculinity, you, you, like, is that you, you see any problems? Um, I mean, I know, I know there's like a big. I don't know if this is necessarily the direction you're wanting me to go, but I know that there's like a big push to say, you know, men need to be able to share their feelings, right? Sure. There's like a sure. kind of a stigma against doing that. Um. And I've seen plenty of plenty of people, women and men, who both who both are arguing, hey, it should be a manly thing, you know, to share your feelings or whatever. I, I don't know if that's the direction you're wanting to go. Well, but. yeah, no, I mean, I, I think a lot of those things are what we uh, I, I would say a lot of those things are what we would describe as um, typically what we associate with manliness, good or bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And then what's happening is a lot of these things are being picked at in certain ways in kind of a across the board but then if we're going to answer well what is biblical manliness we have to have some mechanism essentially to tell what about that's good and what about that's bad right mm-hmm. but then i would say that probably gets at what most people think of when they think of manliness in general mm-hmm. uh, give or take if, if that makes sense yeah yeah and, that's that list yeah yeah so basically what you're wanting to happen then would be to talk about well, what does biblical masculinity look like right now, now that we have kind of the common stereotypes right mm-hmm. yeah what yeah, what so, off the list kind of falls in line with that you know um what what doesn't you know that kind of thing yeah yeah well i think well uh just to give you um i want i'll try to give a few examples of how this works but okay you know masculinity is is um is basically a, a set of attributes behaviors or roles that are associated with men and if you want to get a good idea of what masculinity actually is, biblically speaking, I mean, this is something that gr- growing up I was really wrestling with because I I saw all the traditional stereotypes that our society has. And I'm, I, I, you know, everyone knows what they are. And if you have eyes in your brain, you know, that list I just gave, you can look around and say, hey, that's how you, you're making these judgments, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like typically, give or take, that's how you understand these things. But then what, like... But then what what was happening is I'm living in a world that basically wants to attack everything on that list in a comprehensive way. And then I'm saying, well, what does the Bible say about this? And I don't 
I'm making it a little more complicated than what it actually was. Um, so at the moment the world's going on attack, it's just like, well, how do we define these things? Right. And I think it's, it's not really all that hard. I mean, you just have to think about the biblical roles that a man has given and try to think through, um, I mean, so you think about passages that are directed towards men and then the roles that are directed towards men. And you can kind of put together a lot of this stuff in a pretty simple way. So men typically are, so men are called to be protectors, providers, leaders. Uh, those are roles that men are typically given. So mm-hmm. like being a protector, provider, a leader, uh, men are just, uh, uh, frequently told to be strong, to have courage. And so there's these virtues that men are getting. So be strong, be courageous, act like men. (laughs) So like the idea of courage and strength and fortitude, they're all tied together to masculinity. But then uh, one of the things you want to do is just kind of just think through some of these roles in general that men are told to take on and then describe how, what that looks like biblically and how it can be distorted, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So because men are strong, we're told to, take on the role of being a protector in the Bible. Right. Uh, so we're, we're called to you know, uh, pr- protect essentially. Now, um, now w- when you take that role, like you have a man who is physically stronger than women on average and significantly. So I mean, it, and like, despite all the Marvel movies to the contrary, <laughs> yeah. actually significantly and scarily. So, uh, so God's made men to be strong and woman is the weaker vessel physically. But men are uh, require are uh, commanded to. Uh, we're basically taking on this role of protector. But then, with each one of these roles, you can think of it in terms of a, a virtue and a vice. Okay? okay, so there's like virtues that are associated with protection, and then there's exaggerations or vices that are associated with it. Mm-hmm. So, like living in a fallen world, there's going to be sinners out there, and they're going to take that strength God's given them and use it in inappropriate ways. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the virtue would be like uh, being, you're going to use your strength to protect women or to protect people who are weaker or to protect uh, those around you. Uh, so you, you can think about that role of protection. There's a virtue of protection. There's a virtue, virtue of sacrifice that's generally associated with manliness. So like falling on the grenade, um, going and doing the hard thing, sacrificing your life for your country, like, you know, sacrifice, uh, protection. That all goes along with being strength, uh, with the idea of uh, uh, strength and courage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, honoring the weaker vessel. You know, when you ho- hold a door open for a woman, that would be related to this idea of protecting a woman. She's a weaker vessel. You're showing her honor. You're showing her respect. Uh, now, but then all that, there's like a vice side of all those things, uh, like, Pick, picking on someone weaker. So, you know, trying to figure out who's the alpha male, you know, sniffing out all the wimps, you know, right. <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, uh, you know, when you sense weakness, like, you know, in, in a member, then mercilessly going after them. So that can happen like within, from men to men, like picking on someone weaker. It can happen from men to uh, women in terms mm-hmm. of just relationships to where, you know, you're physically stronger than them and you're going to use that strength to intimidate them. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this uh, idea of protection, uh, you, you know, you could, you could, um, you could think about it in terms of this vice on picking on someone. So you're using your strength to, you know, bully or, and I hate that term, but <laughs> uh, pick on people, uh, abuse them, everything else. Okay. So like there's that idea of protection that's there. Uh, but then you think about like the idea of pr- provider. Well, you know, like what does it mean to be manly? It means 
hard physical labor. We we typically associate that with manliness because there's a lot of hard things that have to be done in the world. And so look, that's related to the idea of being a provider. Mm-hmm. But then the vice of that would be kind of the workaholic right. kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but then also, um, like related to like just I, the idea of strength in general, we typically think like virtue is like f- with strength is hard physical labor, maybe even eating eating meat as a virtue. <laughs> 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 I would say like with strength, you know, neutral would be kind of like sports and games. Like that's just kind of it's not something you need to declare war on. It's just a feature, right? Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, you could say that like sports and games like trains men to be strong and right. to fulfill their war- roles. And the, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that like, there's a lot of people who make gods out of sports and who essentially overload it with spiritual significance. But then there is some value in, you know, Paul says bodily exercises of some value. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, if you keep yourself somewhat physically fit, then, you know, if the zombie apocalypse comes, you'll be able to protect your wife. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it trains like, you know, leadership and, and, uh, sure. you know, a, bu- a bunch of other things that aren't, merely physical you know yeah but i i get the yeah. point yeah well and vice vices related to strength would be kind of being anti-intellectual mm-hmm. so how often have you heard like the and, and men can be profoundly anti-intellectual in a way that's almost disturbing uh one of the things that's sad is that you know we we do a podcast like this and a lot of qu- the questions we get are from women because men are just too lazy to engage their brains and <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, so men could be profoundly anti-intellectual and you all know the stereotype of like the hardworking guy, blue collar guy who just, uh, you know, couldn't be bothered to read a book ever because, mm-hmm. you know, that would be effeminate to him or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that strength, the idea of strength means that anything that, you know, doesn't require brute strength, uh, that might require strength of a different kind is off limits. And so, you know, strength could be anti-intellect, like a vice to the virtue of strength could be anti-intellectual or mm. insensitive, right? Like, so someone who's just, um, like, uh, you, I mean, you, like there's a strength in having control of your emotions, right? Right. That would be a virtue is what you might cr- describe as temperance or fortitude, like controlling your emotions and, uh, not, you know, being, uh, paralyzed by fear, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Like those, there's a strength to that emotionally, that a man should try to cultivate. But then when it becomes bad is that when it becomes callous and insensitive and hard and rigid and unyielding and rude, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. So, uh, and then like, you know, think about like a role of being a leader. There's a virtue in like kind of, you could define like the interest in debate under a leadership kind of thing, mm-hmm. because a leader is going to be someone who is passionate about the truth and justice and fairness and taking the initiative and, uh, wants to get to the truth, you know, through discussion and uh, do the right thing, right? And right. influence people in the world. Uh, so there's virtues that related to that in communication and uh, actions. But then, you know, that there are vices related to that too, like being stubborn, pig-headed, proud, or domineering. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And so, what, what, so I, basically, I, just going through a list like that, I'm just trying to say that it seems like all these roles, protection, provider, leader, strength, courage, all this, all these roles and attributes and characteristics, they can be exaggerated in one way and like in a negative way or be um, very positive things, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. So what you can't do is you can't just like in a categorical way – like if you, like the thing is, if you reject masculinity, you lose all the virtues because you're afraid of the vices. <laughs> okay. Right. You're throwing the baby out. <laughs> right. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we need, we need it. We need them all. We need the virtues. Like we desperately need the virtues. You can't just, uh, yes, they, uh, like in a fallen world, like basically everyone is going to take the, um, creational, um, features God has given you, like the, the traits that God has given you and, and, and distort them. And so the same, you can make the same list for femininity too, mm-hmm. related to feminine roles. And there's, you, there's good expressions of them and bad expressions of them. And that's the way it works. And that's what sin does. It takes what's good and corrupts it. Okay. So you talked a lot about, um, the various, you know, attributes or characteristics of someone who is uh, what we would consider um, biblically masculine, and then you did ta- you did talk a little bit about uh, ways in which that masculinity can be taken to a certain extreme that is no longer um, really in the realm of biblical masculinity. It's kind of moved moved past biblical masculinity into a totally different realm, and and people have different, you know, terms for it, I guess. I guess some people would call it toxic. I I don't know what you specifically would want to call it, but uh could you just kind of uh maybe describe a little more of what that kind of unhelpful masculinity looks like and are there any examples in the real world that we can observe today that we can point to and say, "Hey, look, bi- biblical masculinity is a good thing." But then this form of masculinity is is unhelpful. This right here is—is is there any way you can kind of you know explain that a little more for us? Yeah, I think the unhelpful masculinity would be a category. A perversion of masculinity could be a, a category. So you could just think about like biblical masculinity, and then you could think about exaggerated masculinity, which may not be, which may be more comedic at times. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. But then if you talk about like unhelpful or distorted masculinity, um, now unhelpful might be um, uh, soft pedaling it in a certain, uh, but uh, I, yeah, I, I might say destructive masculinity okay. or harmful masculinity okay. or sinful kind of masculinity, mm-hmm. wh- whatever you want to say. I just, you know, I don't really like the toxic part because mm-hmm. of uh, some of the baggage that comes with that. But yeah, sure. So I, I think there's... Um, as I've said, uh, typically masculinity involves a set of attributes, behaviors, or roles associated with men. And so there's the biblical roles of being the protector, the provider, the leader. Uh, you could also add different roles, like a uh, husband's responsible to be a uh, sanctifier of his home and mm-hmm. his family. So he's supposed to you know, wash his uh, wife with the water of the word. And you could also describe a biblical responsibility of being a lover if you remove kind of the sappy, sentimental <laughs> baggage that might be associated with uh, some of that. But mm-hmm. uh, like you, your husband should be loving his wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. And so certainly there's some romance in there, but then it, it may not be um, the, the um, uh, all, all that is associated with uh, romance today in the same kind of way. But that's a subject for a different time. But there's there's these roles, you know, protection provider, leader, sanctifier, lover. Um, and then there's attributes like strength and courage and um, fortitude and temperance and all that. So if, you th- if you're thinking about like the attributes, how they could be distorted. Well, Aristotle has a discussion about virtues in that, uh, you know, a virtue is typically the mean or the average between two extremes. Mm-hmm. And so you could think about like an idea like um, courage. 
so uh, what you want then is like with the idea of courage, if what he's saying is right, is that like the idea of courage can be distorted in that an overabundance of courage might mean the guy who is charging the army with his sword, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> by himself uh, to where you might describe better describe that as being foolhardy. And right. certainly, I mean, you can watch plenty of YouTube videos and see that guys are prone to, uh, you know, an overabundance of courage at times <laughs> mm-hmm. with some of the things that they're doing, like jumping over cars and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so there, there is a foolhardiness, like, which would be an overabundance of courage. And then on the other end, there can be uh, absence of courage, which would be um, like the uh, just spineless jellyfish kind of man who's... Um, functionally dominated by fear so but then when you think about like the distortion of masculinity you would take you would go from courage to like the foolhardiness once it transitions into foolhardiness that would be the distortion and that could be just the guy who's you know never met a business deal that he doesn't like and a risk that he doesn't want to take and gambling his family's uh, inheritance away because he's you know throwing it away on a risky uh, stock or you know actually literal gambling that mm-hmm. kind of thing and so you know you, you have the idea of courage is the idea that we want to cultivate we want we want as much courage as we can get but then once it turns into like unrealistic kind of courage or just distorted in that way then we don't want that at all does that make sense yeah yeah uh, so then you know something like um so, so that would be related to courage you know and then with strength you know god's given men strength to protect people Right. And to provide. So the, the idea of uh, strength is going to be it sh- should be manifested in protection and provision. But then, you know, um, men could use like uh, pervert that kind of virtue and turn it into, uh, you know, because I'm stronger, I'm going to you know, physically uh, harm uh, people who are weaker, pick on people who are weaker, harm my wife with my strength. And so use it to prey upon people, to steal, to rob you know, and that isn't like particularly, that would be a distortion of men, masculinity mm-hmm. as far as that's concerned. But what you want is you want to retain the strength that's there to protect people and to be, so and that strength being like actual physical strength and emotional strength and all of that, right? That, those are good things and, and that's what we need those things. And mm-hmm. so, so, but then, you know, you think, as you think through these things, each one of these uh, roles uh, and virtues can be distorted. So like the idea of a provider, uh, you, you, what you want is you want men who take seriously their job to provide for a family, but then there's a type of man who exclusively only sees that as his job and it's not balanced with the other roles. And then, you know, essentially he's a workaholic. Right. As far, and so you could say, well, is that manly? Well, yeah, he takes seriously providing for his household, but then he's forgotten all the other ones, like um, being a leader and, you know, protecting his family. He's never there, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't know what's going on there or being a spiritual leader in their house and, and all that. And so I, I think what you want to do, if you want to understand the subject is just try to think about what are the roles a man's called to and how can he either uh, turn those roles on its head or exaggerate those to where they become destructive. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I kind of like that distinction, the distinction you're making more than what I said earlier, uh, the idea that it's, it's like a destructive kind of um, masculinity. And that really kind of leads me into another question that I wanted to ask you, which was basically, you know, what, so God's given us specific roles as men that we're meant to fill. 
Uh, and and you've you've described a lot of those for us, like a an overview of what you know. Maybe it's not necessarily a totally exhaustive list. But yeah, I don't know how to do that. Right, <laughs> right. But then it's at least time. like a good kind of big picture. Here's what God has designed men to be. Um, and and so the question that that kind of leads me to is basically, all right. So that's what God's designed us to be. And uh, so what? What exactly um, are the benefits that come from people who choose to, uh, you know, fill, fulfill that design to the best of their ability? So not the destructive, but the person who who reads the Bible, the guy who reads the Bible, and says, "I want to be like what God has uh, is telling me. He's designed me to be." What are the benefits um, on like a family level? a local community level and nationwide when you have men who, who choose to uh, live out biblical masculinity. Yeah. I, I just, I think the more that people are aware of history, the more that they'll realize that there's, there's always going to be evil men in the world. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the reality of how the world works. And men are, men are very, uh, keen at sensing weakness in other men <laughs> and there's you know there are like so the thing is like men can be the world's greatest villains and typically speaking the world's greatest villains have always been men right right <laughs> so that's the way it works i just read a history book okay mm-hmm. but then men are also simultaneously the world's greatest heroes and that's the way it's always been mm-hmm. <laughs> because like you, you know that's the way god's designed it god's designed men to be the ones who, like, I mean, that's why you read through the Bible and you're going to see, um, you know, the frequent admonition to men is to be strong, to have courage, to act like men. I mean, who, who when the Israelites are going into the promised land, who, who fought the battles, right? It wasn't the women who fought the battles. Right. It was the men who fought the battle. Now, that's not to say that women play no part and they're not an integral part of society. I'm just trying to say that, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to say, to say that uh, Spider-Man's dad was our uncle uh, was on to something right mm-hmm. uh, great right. power <laughs> comes great responsibility that's the way it works that's the way life works and so men are made to be strong and you can either use that in a destructive way or you can use that in a helpful way and the thing is when you emasculate men and you you uh, basically remove all of these traditional masculine traits from them and encourage them to have no control over their emotions and encourage them to essentially to be dominated by fear and worry and and everything else. I mean, you're setting a nation up and a society up to be conquered. That's what you're doing. <laughs> and so you're setting them up to be easy prey. And there's a bunch of sinful men out there who will take, who will realize this is an easy picking, right? Mm-hmm. And so like at a society level, you need, you need strong men if you want your society to survive. And, you know, when the men go weak, the society gets conquered. That's the way it's always been. Like, we think we're in a civilized society right now, and we've kind of cast off the old imperialism and everything else. But, like, that that can come back in a moment. So, like, at a societal level, you need strong men who are ready to be protectors and ready to be providers and ready to take initiative and, and able to face tough situations and, and um able to do so without wavering and and uh, i mean there's you know plenty of uh, historical examples of even just things like going through the great depression and and you'll realize that when the men were strong they you could yes you know the when, when the men are strong and the men are stable and the men are not afraid 
so goes the family and so goes the society and that's the way it works. And so you, there's, there's a, you know, I can just look at my own life and my own family and we've been through a lot of difficult times, but then, you know, God, if I would have just crumbled and collapsed, everyone would have crumbled and collapsed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm not patting myself on the back and saying, well, you know, I just, you know, have enough courage to go through it, but the, God helps people to take on the roles that God's given them. And if you don't resist that, there's, there's, you can face a lot of, you can face a lot of, uh, uncertainty if the man is strong and the man is stable and the man has courage and and the man is ready to be uh, in the role that he's in. But when he caves, everything goes, you Mm -hmm. know? And one of the things, you can just look at our society right now and see our response to COVID and it's just insane, Harrison. I mean, it's insane. Like we are living in a matriarchal society that's unable to mitigate even the smallest amount of risk. Mm -hmm. Like we, we, we are unable to, like we have literally you know, locked everyone into houses <laughs> for a year because we can't face a 0.01% chance of death uh, That it, it, with exaggerated statistics and everything else. Like, it's just nuts. And that's what happens when you prioritize some of the feminine impulses over the traditionally masculine impulses. Uh, so when you have a society that is dominated by, like, feelings, like the prioritization of people's feelings over facts— those are traditionally feminine impulses, and that's that's the way that they've always been. Mm-hmm. And so we're living in a society right now that prioritizes feelings over everything. And so you, you, you can't criticize someone's feelings. If they feel like they're a woman, then you must tell them they're a woman. That's the way it works. And so like when you lose like this masculine ability to say um, you need to conform your feelings to reality, right? <laughs> And yeah. that's, a, that's totally a masculine impulse is to say that it, what matters is not how this makes you feel. What matters is what's true in this scenario. Like when you lose those kind of like traditional masculine traits or strengths, um, uh, then what happens is society crumbles in uh, under itself. And then you're like left with a bunch of contradictory mess. And so that's the way it happens. I mean, I, I think at... Um, like at a societal level, I mean, when you're talking about in a family, I mean, that's like, like th- those same kind of dynamics are at work within a family. Uh, God's designed men to be strong. God's designed men to be leaders. God's designed men to take initiative. And God's uniquely equipped men to be strong, to take initiative, to be leaders. And when we abdicate that, then what we end up with is a bunch of stressed out, unhappy wives and a bunch of uh, marriages that uh, where the man is essentially emasculated in the eyes of the woman. And then both the people are frustrated and none of it works. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot to be said about that. But we... we, um, we we are living in a society right now that desperately needs uh, men to be strong again and courageous. Yeah, and that you know, that's not even really to mention all of the. It's not. It doesn't even really. There's not enough time to even touch on all of the other implications that I think you know probably come from uh, encouraging men to be effeminate over masculine. You know, especially when it comes to raising the next generation. Well, even theologically speaking, Harrison, I mean, it's one of those things which uh, I I know you're not allowed to say because it's considered like a ghastly heresy, but I mean, women are typically more prone to theological heresy than men. Mm -hmm. Um, And like when, and part of that's just because like women can be more naive than men are at times and can think more with their emotions than men can because they're more prone to be nurturing. And so, Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you look around uh, the world and like a lot of the 
crazy stuff that's being introduced into the evangelical world right now is being introduced by women. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know you're not allowed to notice it, but that's the way it is. And, 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 and that's part of the reason why God's designed men to be teachers and God's designed men to be elders of the church. And, and, and so, you know, the more that we're, you know, promoting, you know, all these expository female ministries within the church, strange things can happen. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I can, I can, there's, uh, you're not allowed to say it, but it's it's absolutely true. Yeah, and and that kind of uh, that's like a, a really good segue um, into another question, which is, you know, this is not really something that I I guess you you always hear. Certainly, you always hear that uh, you know, like the Father's Day sermons, where where uh, the the pastor is basically going to tell all the men in the room, you know, focused on the father specifically, Hey, it's time to, you know, but buckle down basically. And, and we need to start taking our job seriously, implying that we haven't been right. And, and you compare that to, um, you know, like a mother's day sermon where it's typically like a, like fully praising the, you know, the mother, which I don't think is inherently wrong in any, I think it's a good thing to praise the mother, but it is interesting to see that different dynamic. So there is certainly an aspect of uh, the evangelical church that is trying to say, Hey, men, men in some way need to be masculine, but then functionally it doesn't really seem like maybe we really mean it all that much. Uh, is that kind of, is that your perception as well as it pertains to the church specifically and the leaders within churches? I, I think we were sending mixed signals as it relates to masculinity. And I, I mean, I don't resent the fact that, uh, you know, the standard father say sermon is going to bash men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we deserve it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> So, as far as that goes. But then what happens is it's like, uh, What's happening is that those Father's Day sermons are totally disconnected from everything else that's happening. Mm-hmm. And so the standard church service in every conceivable way is just undermining masculinity at every single conceivable level. And then when you like what's happening is like basically we've adopted all this like the uh, symbol. We basically ad- adopted the feminist uh, egalitarian framework uh, as it relates to we're, we've Here's what happened. We, we've gone to war against all these gender stereotypes in a fairly comprehensive way as a church. But then once we get to these, you know, Father's Day sermon, we're preaching the passage, which is talking about things that we've undermined the whole rest of the time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like we've undermined everything we're talking about at that point. And so then fundamentally, I think you're sending mixed messages it, it, like with the men. And, and then when it comes to the, like the lady sermons, then one of the things that's happened is like we've, uh, we, we, like we are living in a church right now that it, has no category for ever rebuking a woman or blaming her for anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so like that's the way it works. I mean, the the woman always has to be uh, praised at, almost at every single point. And you know, when you get to all the, um, I, I've I've just never heard. I, I've I've heard very few sermons. I don't want to say never, but very very few sermons on 
like anything about a biblical role of women where the pastor is not just apol- apologizing the whole time and the nervous laughter and the chuckling and the, you know, like, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't make it up, but God did, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And just uh, just as sad about it as uh, wishes he could, wouldn't have to do it, you know, kind of thing. But so I think what needs to happen is that, that we need to, there, there's obviously an, an imbalance there where we beat up on the men and then we praise the women. And then part of the problem is that like ladies have um, typically younger ladies are not living up to the reputation that their grandmothers earned. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what part of what's happened with that is that you essentially have um, like the job of a homemaker and all that ha- was a lot harder than it is now. Once you add to add to it, you know, all the appliances like dishwashers and laundry machines and, and, and everything else. It used to be a lot harder. And like, the, yeah, you don't have uh, to go down the river, down to the river anymore to wash everything. <laughs> yeah. Beat your rug with a stick, you know, while <laughs> uh, staying away from the crocodiles or whatever. But no, I mean, it's just gotten a lot easier and like homemaking doesn't take as much time now, but then now that it doesn't take as much time, like a lot of young homemakers are, are a lot lazier, but then they'll still like, we still praise all women indiscriminately because that's what we have to do. And then what's happening is then like we're excusing a, a vast uh, amount of laziness on, on women's end. But I don't, I don't, what, what I would like to happen is, is just that we, um, we were harder on the men and we're harder on the women. <laughs> okay. So, mm-hmm. so we need to do both. I mean, cause uh, like, a, like your standard, the problem is your standard male today is being trained to be a female and has, I mean, essentially does have the emotional control of a five-year-old girl and that's the way it works. And so when the difficult situation happens, he curls up on the floor and lays, you know, is unable to move and, you know, basically uh, sucking his passy fingers on the ground. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, we need men to man up. We need men to be strong. We need men to quit being so afraid of their wives that they, you know, refuse to rebuke them or, you know, uh, stand firm or, like, and, 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 and that's what's happening is you have a lot of easily manipulated men who basically think of what it means to uh, love a woman is essentially to give her whatever she wants and to validate all of her feelings and and essentially um, you know be a voice of affirmation for her and so I yeah I think like um, so yeah yeah I think the church is traditionally they um, we do rebuke men during those Father's Day sermons but everything else that we're doing we're encouraging effeminacy across the board in every conceivable way and with every with all the activities we do as a church we're encouraging effeminacy like we basically you know got, tried to destroy masculinity and then we tell them hey you guys need to be more manly you know one day out of the year after mm-hmm. we've undermined it so it's a mess so so why exactly is it that is it seems like you know there's there's verse I mean there's verses in the Bible that talk about um, you know I think Paul says it a few different times in a few different letters you know condemning effeminate men right but then in my experience I can't really think of uh, yeah I, I don't want to say I've never heard this because I, there are some really faithful and prominent pastors out there that I I think I have heard talk about this but. No, you know, across the board, generally, I don't feel like I really hear that ever talked about much. Like a con, a condemning of, of um, the temptation to be effeminate as a man, right? Which is obviously predominant in our society. You've said it's predominant even in our churches. So why is it that 
people are avoiding this so much when it is just a clear, I mean, if we're, you know, if we're willing to talk about all of, all of these other sins, you know, we're willing to talk about murder, lying, stealing, um, you know, some people are still willing to talk about homosexuality, you know, uh, why aren't people willing to talk about, um, effeminacy? Well, because the, the idea of masculinity and effeminate, uh, uh, the idea of masculinity and femininity has been so under attack by our society that essentially we these are words that have no meaning anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so in uh, part of why that's happened is because we've declared war on all the stereotypes. So all the traditional gender stereotypes, you know, boys like blue, women like pink, mm-hmm. um, boys like cars, and women like dolls. You know. So one of the things that we've done is there's been like our, our society is essentially, and this is what, like, so feminism, the idea of feminism is essentially the idea of destroying all gender stereotypes. And one of the reasons why, like, we're so, um, like, you can't even, like, we don't even have it. We're not, we're living in a society that doesn't know what a generalization is anymore. Mm-hmm. So like we don't like we've we're we've gone to war against generalizations or stereotypes, and and so so I mean I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where I make a generalization and someone looks at me and says like that's a generalization, like as if that's like a curse word or something. <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah 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 it it is a do you know what a generalization? Is? Right. <laughs> a generalization is a statement of general truth. <laughs> it's like, yes, it's a statement of general truth. You know, and then they'll point to the exception to disprove the rule. And it's like, this is a statement of general truth. There are exceptions. But I mean, like you think about that, like there's all these gender stereotypes that were instructive in teaching us about our roles, like boys like blue and women like pink and boys like uh, cars and, you know, uh, action figures and women like dolls and you know, so what, what's happened is feminism has basically gone to war against all these things and, and basically considered all these stereotypes to be social constructs that virtually have no meaning. And and then, but no matter how hard they try, you know, girls still like pink and boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most boys don't. Okay. So like, no matter how hard they try, you know, the girl's going to gravitate towards the doll, you know, gasp, you know, and then the boy is going to like the cars and the trucks and the loud things and the, you know, the action figures. And that's kind of the way it works. You know, there are obviously exceptions, but here's the thing. So feminism has gone, gone on an attack at that very point with all the stereotypes are gone. Uh, but then, like, transgenderism is a strange thing because transgenderism is is uh, essentially, like, you know, if, if Bruce Jenner wants to become a woman, what does he do? Like, well, like, how does he even identify that he's a woman on the inside? Well, how he identifies he's a woman on the inside is he reclaims all those old female stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he transitions into some gaudy pinup model, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like ugly mannish pinup model, right? Yeah. Uh, like, and basically what he did was he took all the gender stereotypes that the feminists destroyed and says that that's how he's identifying himself as a female. And so you're, and that's why the feminists are mad at the transgenders because the two worldviews can't work. But then what's happened in the church is essentially we've gone to war against all these stereotypes. We've gone to war against all these, um, like to against the idea of masculinity and femininity, but then what's happened is the church is basically just um, they don't know what a generalization is anymore, or they don't know how stereotypes are supposed to work anymore. And so now what's happened is basically we're in this situation where um, 
No one really even knows how to define masculinity or femininity at all. And this is something that Matt Walsh will frequently um, do. Um, and I, I listen to him on, from time to time. Uh, yeah, I have a low tolerance for him, but I, I, I do listen to him. But he'll frequently <laughs> he'll frequently ask like the feminist and the transgender folks, well, define a woman for me. And literally no one can answer the question. And it's been a running joke he's had for a while. Mm-hmm. Like th- their answer is a woman is like a person who identifies as a woman, you know, <laughs> it's like, but, but you understand that that has no meaning. It has no content right. anymore. So the idea of like, the thing is the idea of manliness and femininity, it has no con, con- like they're empty terms. They have no meaning. So at that point, we like the church doesn't know we've, we've so bought into all these lies. We've rejected all the stereotypes. We have nothing left. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, basically what's happened is it's just like, okay, well, you know, stereotypical masculinity involves playing sports. And it's like, well, yeah, I know a guy who doesn't really like sports. He likes to write poems, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I don't know what masculinity is anymore, you know? (laughs) And so what we've done is we checked all the stereotypes. Like we checked all the generalizations and we're left with nothing. We're left with empty sets. We don't have anything to put in them. Mm -hmm. So then you're not going to have someone criticize effeminacy because... There's no content to the words. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. The words are absolutely meaningless. They mean nothing. We don't even know what they mean, you know? So, so, and that's where, um, you know, someone like Jordan Peterson can come along and, you know, tell men to stand up straight with their shoulders back. And, and it's just like, you have a generation of men who've been trained to be women who realize like they discover some new, deep, profound truth. And it's just like, no, I was just, he's just telling you the gender stereotypes we've tossed. Mm-hmm. But then if you do that, you'll actually get ahead in the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it kind of seems to, you know, when you think about um, these secular guys who are actually calling, you know, like, uh, what what was that? What, Matt Walsh. Um, uh, yep. You know, he, he's one of these guys that I, that I think of um, who is willing to confront these different ideologies uh, especially like the transgender, the same sex attraction stuff, they're willing to confront these things in a really, in a, uh, in forceful. a really forceful way. Right. Yeah. Right. But then that's kind of what it takes a lot of times to demonstrate how foolish it all is. And I've seen plenty of pastors who often wonder out loud, why do so many of my church members listen to these guys? I wish I wish they would listen to me the way that they listen to these guys. And, and a lot of times the, the pushback when they're wondering that out loud on, on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever they are is, well, Hey, maybe if you were confronting a lot of these things, like they were, they would actually want to take you a lot more seriously because they're actually looking yeah. at the Bible and saying, it seems like, it seems like what the world is pushing does not, align with what scripture says but then i never and and all these secular guys are talking about it it seems like they're being confrontational you know they're calling out things that are uh false teaching even though they don't necessarily they don't have like a uh you know the holy spirit that's giving them a a real biblical understanding but they do at least have enough of a conscience to realize that everything that's being pushed goes against creation but then it seems like pastors um in a lot of ways, because they've kind of had it ingrained in their mind, you know, the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. You're not allowed to even really confront these things. You'll be, you'll be too mean. But then you read the Bible, 
you go and read Paul, go and read Jesus, go and read the prophets. And they say things that um, are obviously confrontational. And honestly, if you could just, if you could just wipe people's minds, wipe their memories so that they didn't know that these guys in the Bible said all these things. And then you just showed them the, you showed them the quote things that they're saying. Yeah. Right. You, I, I guarantee you most pastors would probably, probably say this guy is not fit for ministry or, or he needs to be at least reprimanded in some way. And so it seems like a, a big consequence of not encouraging a biblical kind of masculinity. And I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with, you know, obviously like the pagan, the pagan guys who are confronting all this stuff, I don't always agree with everything they do, but I do at least admire the fact that they're willing to be courageous about it and they're willing to put their uh, uh, reputation on the line. Well, that, uh, yeah, that's that's what's ha- what's happening is it's like nature abhors a vacuum, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so so this is the same thing that happens when like the, the nice guy tries to get the girl and the way he tries to get the girl is just to basically you know, go up to her and just, you know, be nice to her and just always try to figure out what she wants to do and, 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 and do it. And and like that kind of guy appears to the standard girl to be weak. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she'll go out and she'll like marry the bad boy or something like that. Right. (laughs) right? Or, or date the bad boy. And and like the nice guy is just like, you know, totally baffled by what's happening. It's just Mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm good to you. You know, I listen to you. I share my feelings with you. And then you, you know, but you don't want to be in a relationship with me. You want to be in a relationship with the, the, uh, you know, the guy with the motorcycle over there to do the stereotypes. (laughs) (laughs) But like, what's going on, you know? And it's just like, well, what they don't realize is that there are like people gravitate towards the um, distortions of masculinity much more than they uh, gravitate towards an absence of masculinity, mm-hmm. and that that was that explains the Trump phenomenon. That explains why people are listening to Jordan Peterson, Matt Walsh, and these guys, and not your standard evangelical pastors. What people sense in your standard evangelical pastors, the "Thou shalt be nice" uh, uh, kind of pastors, is they they sense just a deep kind of effeminacy that's there. And then you know they look at someone like Trump, and Trump is like exaggerated masculinity. Like, but whatever you say, like he has courage, right? He mm-hmm. has strength. Like he, he's based, right? He doesn't care what <laughs> others think about him, right? So, but he has, I mean, he, but like Trump went to war against the media. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who like, it, like for years, I mean, you have all these spineless politicians who lie to you, your face, face, Republican politicians who lie to your face and tell you what you want to hear, but then have no spine. And whatever you say about Trump, you say, well, at least the guy has a spine, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he has a spine. He has courage. He has backbone. Uh, he doesn't care. You know, he went to like he like there's a problem and you see courage like he went to um, he went to war like and then people like went to vote for him in mass and and like. You know, no one understood what was happening at the time. I was sitting there telling everyone, yeah, he's he's going to win. You know, he's mm-hmm. going to win. I could see the handwriting on the wall. And, and the reason why I could see the handwriting on the wall is because I just, I look at the crowds, I look at what's happening, and it's just like, this is what they've been wanting. He's tapping into what they want. They want someone who will defend them, you right. know? Uh, and now he does it, like he, you know, and then they, then, then it's basically like, well, this is a distortion of masculinity and that it's arrogant and boastful and, 
Like he spends all the time bragging about himself and and, every, and everything else. And then, you you know, you get John Piper, like, basically, you know, critiquing Trump, you know, by, you know, I don't understand why, you know, arrogance and pride or, you know, uh, to be equated with some other things and everything else. It's like, but you don't understand what's happening. This is courage. This is the first example of courage that people have seen mm-hmm. <laughs> in a politician in years, man. This is the first example. Like, and so they're willing to overlook them. Like they, they'll take the bad boy who has the courage and who has the initiative, who has the leadership, who has, uh, like, uh, the, the strength, like they'll take that any day over the weakness. Right. And that's what's happening. And, and, and it was destructive and it was distorted, but you know, like what, like what, what we need is like, it's not mysterious what's happening. What's happening is that you have a bunch of effeminate leaders who basically like everyone around them is looking for courage and they want to see someone who, you know, isn't so like so terrified and afraid of other people's opinions. They want someone who's going to stand up and do the right thing and, you know, not, not care, you know? So mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess in talking about, you know, the the bad boys, right? The people are more attracted to the quote unquote bad boys than they are the the effeminate the effeminate men. Um, give us some advice for the women who are listening uh, as it pertains to this. You know, we've had we've had women who have reached out to us and basically they they've had this question of. Hey, look, I want, I actually want to find a guy who desires to be masculine in the way that God has uh, designed him to be. The problem is, you know, it's hard to find that, right? And, and I don't necessarily always know what exactly I'm looking for, what are going to be the identifying features um, of someone in terms of like the dating process. Um, uh, finding so how so how do these women, uh, what do these women look for when they're find when they're trying to find a guy who wants to be masculine? What are the the indicators that someone might be too effeminate? What are the indicators? Uh, and maybe this is the harder one for women. What are the indicators that would point to a guy being uh far? too masculine I, I guess that's not a fair way to say it, but like the destructive version yep. of masculinity and then what exactly should women be looking for uh in terms of the guy who is truly pursuing biblical masculinity yeah i think uh, a lot of what's happening out there in the world is you have all the servant leader kind of types that are out there that mm-hmm. uh appear more effeminate to men and then when you have a pushback against that largely um individuals who are going to identify more in the patriarchal kind of movement get uh, within those kind of boundaries typically are going to be individuals who are going to have a concept of masculinity that's more solid and clear mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and concepts of male female roles that make a bit more sense and feel a little bit more biblical uh, but then they're going to be uh, obviously uh, uh, sound very, very extreme to most people in the world. But then within those camps, I mean, you have kind of like the Vody Bauckham on the one hand kind of type of just a, the confident leader who would put himself in a patriarchal, yeah, like Vody or Doug Wilson or, um, you know, like the uh, cross politic guys, those kind of guys. Uh, the, I mean, they're, they're individuals who are, I think, 
doing it well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but then you have like the manosphere, the red pill kind of guys, the men going their own way crowd who seem to be kind of angry at women and um, bitter and frustrated. And, uh, you know, it, perhaps, you know, all of them secretly, you know, wife spankers or <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> that's the thing, you know. And so you, I can understand how if you're a lady in there, there is a, I mean, there is a very real, like, uh, kind of patriarchal person who is like a Bodhi, and then there's a very real patriarchal kind of person who's going to treat you like a dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, basically uh, look for opportunities to prove your obedience, you know, and uh, make you do irrational and crazy things just to show he's in charge and that kind of stuff. And there, I mean, there are those kind of people. Uh, that are out there, and so how do you navigate the difference between that, uh, those two things, and then just your standard weak kind of guy? Um, uh, and I, I think just uh, the, just some things to think about. Uh, I'll just give you some things to think about that are my observations. But typically, I mean, what it means to be a man is like part, uh, like a lot of what it means to be a leader is to be the kind of guy who's going to take initiative. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that you want to be looking for in a man is the kind of man who's not passive, who actually takes initiative uh, in the relationship, who is, uh, I think one of the things you want to be looking for is the kind of guy who's trying to have serious conversations with you and is trying, you know, and is trying to help you to grow spiritually. And it's going to be the kind of guy who is uh, thoughtful, uh, informed, um, who is, uh, I mean, I think the kind of guy who knows the Bible who who knows it well, uh, the kind of guy who, uh, so, I mean, I think you, you want those kind of traits, a, a biblical guy who takes initiative, who has just general leadership potential. I mean, you don't want just like the guy who's just, um, I mean, like there can be a kind of guy like I'm talking about who takes initiative and who's a good leader. And then there can be a kind of guy who's just real nice and, you know, likes talking to you, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, basically tries to figure out all the things you like and do it. And I mean, that may, I mean, there's something about that that's good, but then like, does he take initiative? Is he passive? Is the way he leads just, hey, what do you want to do all the time? And what do you want to do all the time? And does he have any kind of plan? Does he have any kind of convictions? Does he have any, um, that kind of stuff? And so, so I think, you, you know, you want to be looking toward the guy who's biblically minded, who has convictions, but then I think you want to look for a guy who's like, like legitimately selfless, like legitimately selfless that you don't, get the feeling as you're uh, interacting with him that life revolves around him and his own desires and what he wants and that he's using um, submission and uh, obedience of like female submission, female obedience as a cloak just to get his own selfish way. And I mean, typically the the kind of guys who are like that are kind of the guys who are generally always talking about themselves and, you know, basically every, um, decision that they make ends up revolving around what's easiest for them or the things that they want or mm-hmm. and everything else. I mean, do you see a guy who's actually willing to sacrifice and who's actually willing to make the hard decisions? Do you see a guy who is going to not ask you to do something that he's unwilling to do himself? Do you see a guy who, you know, will stand his ground when he has a like a biblical conviction, but he's not just going to do so in a way that you're a moron and you're an idiot and, you know, you need to wake up and that, that kind of stuff. And so that, but that he's actually able to discuss his positions and, and to discuss them in a way that uh, 
doesn't just get emotional and doesn't just get like offended. Uh, and I think the kind of guys that I would be nervous about are going to be the kind of guys who basically, if you disagree with them, they're going to be offended and, you know, mm-hmm. turn into a, a baby, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and take it personally. And how dare you, you know, treat me this way. And, you know, I guess I could never be good enough for you and that kind of stuff. I mean, those kind of guys are just kind of selfish, like crybaby kind of type types of guys who will just impose their will upon you and be manipulative about it. So typically I, I think you just, you want someone who just feels stable, feels other centered, has strong convictions it takes initiative. Like those are things that you want to look for. And and I think a lot of the, you know, the red pill manosphere, men going their own way crowd, there's this sense in which uh, with a lot of them that they really are kind of bitter. And some of the temptations that men are, are uh, warned against in the Bible are don't be harsh with your wife and don't be bitter towards mm-hmm. your wife. And the reason why like men are warned that way is because like there is, um, the reality is that like in marriage, a uh, woman's desire at times will be to master their husband. And like, there's a kind of guy who's just like basically angry at women, you know, and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. what comes out in like, in a lot of the things they say is a bunch of bitterness towards women and a bunch of anger towards women. And, and the problem though, with that kind of thing is that right now, anytime a man like criticizes feminism, Right. Right. <laughs> I guess there's a problem out here, you know, like a lot of like, like if you have your eyes open and you can see what's actually happening, people just think you're speaking out of bitterness. Okay? Yeah. It's like an assault on all women. Uh, that I mean, existed. It, well, and that's part of the, the, the thing about, you know, critical theory is that an attack on one is considered an attack on the all uh, attack on all. And it's just like, if you have your eyes open, you can see that there are problems that are happening right now, that mm-hmm. the vast majority of young women are lazy and dominating their husbands. You know, like that's what's happening. And the vast majority of men are just passive. And if you say something like that, it's like, oh man, you know, you're bitter towards women. It's like, no, I want everyone to wake up. You know, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I'm not bitter, you know, but so, but there is a kind of guy though, who really is legitimately seems to have a chip on his shoulder and maybe had a bunch of bad relationships with women. And, you know, basically that's his thing. He's just mad at women and that's what's going to come out. And mm-hmm. like, if he's bitter before, he's going to be bitter during. Right. So yeah, you anytime don't, you don't automatically change once you say I do. No, no. And so like the thing is, if you're mad at women, you got a chip on your shoulder. Like you can, you, you, like what, what's going to happen is that like anytime his wife, you know, doesn't perfectly follow his leadership, he's just going to be harsh and embittered. And so how does this guy, hand, like, so one of the, some of the things I'd be looking for is, you know, how, how, do, how does this guy actually handle criticism? How does he handle opposition? You know, is he, you know, defensive and just, um, you know, uh, harsh and, um, short and, or, you know, is he able to have a discussion, you know, with Mm -hmm. the, about, about things like that. And so those are just short list of things I look for. Uh, but then, uh, some things I look for that go without that, that, um, should go without saying, um, but don't, you know, I, I, I think most couples right now are starting off with the, basically the dink assumptions, which is the double income, no kid kind of assumptions. And so mm-hmm. most couples are basically, even couples who like are, you know, uh, on paper in favor of biblical roles, most couples are starting out just with the assumption that both people will work for a few years and, you know, share the load of being a provider and share the housework and everything else. But, uh, you know, if I were a lady, I'd, I'd want a guy who's basically saying, hey, I want you to, like, you're going to, you're going to be the, like your primary role is going to be to be a homemaker. My primary role is going to be a provider. 
and um, and I'm going to arrange our affairs in such a way that we start off marriage and I have a plan in order to actually provide for you and to take care of you that doesn't need any kind of income that you already have at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And that uh, involves me not living in my parents' house, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I, I want a guy who takes initiative and who has a plan and, you know, has opinions about what church they're going to go to and it has a faithful track record of going to church on a regular basis and has firm doctrinal convictions uh, and, and is able to discuss them, you know? So those are just some things that I would look for. And I, I'd be wary of the kind of guy who just seems like he's, uh, you know, um, bitter at women, uh, even though, you know, any, even though that's harder to, you have to, I guess the the way to figure out the difference is because every every anyone who criticizes you know the excesses that are going on is going to be described that way. I, I guess a good way to figure out um, how that looks is does it feel personal when they're doing it? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like okay. uh, does it feel personal or does it feel just like hey, this is just you know the way the world works right now and we have okay. to figure out how to deal with it. But yeah, right. Okay. Well, I guess. I'll just ask you one more question. Um, that question is when it comes to this idea of masculinity, it's so under attack. People, people reject it all over the place, even within the Christian world. So just tell us, and we've talked a lot about, Hey, what are the benefits in terms of, um, what are the benefits that we, we get to experience when guys, decide, hey, I want to think biblically, I want to live in a way that fulfills the design uh, that God has for men. Um, So I guess just kind of end us by explaining how exactly are we honoring God when men decide, hey, look, I want to do, I want to, I want to fill this role the way it's described in the Bible. How are we honoring God when we do that? Yeah. How, how is God glorified? when men act manly sure yeah well it's um it's one of those questions that if god has designed men for a purpose and designed men for a reason and he's designed women for a reason then it's um it's, it's one of those things that's easy to conceptualize so if you can just imagine that um you know a ferrari on a racetrack driving really fast right mm-hmm. well one of the things that you see in that kind of thing is um the the greeks had a word for that like the arete uh, of a horse you know like the excellence of a horse like you see uh mm-hmm. like like the idea of a ferrari on a racetrack driving really fast it's fulfilling the task that it was made for does that make sense Mm-hmm. So, and there's something that you say, well, how does that glorify God? Well, there's, there's something glorious about even trivial examples of that kind of thing to where uh, something lives up to the purpose to which it's made. Um, and then if you were to take that Ferrari and then you were to like, you know, put it in a, you know, a trailer and <laughs> a tra- if you can imagine that same Ferrari, like in a trailer park, you know, uh, you know, basically, uh, with busted up wheels, you know, hobbling along on a dirt road or, you know, with mm-hmm. rust all over it, you would say, well, that was a profound waste. <laughs> right. What a shame. <laughs> like, uh, I'm not, you know, shaming trailer park 
uh, live, uh, you know, dwellers. I'm just, <laughs> no shade. Careful, I'm not, don't get them after not, not showing any shade there. But you, you can understand what I'm saying. Like you take something that's really nice and you just destroy it or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, so like, but then you imagine it doing the thing it's designed to do. And like, there's a, there's a glory in that that points to the one who made it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, you can imagine like uh, the, the total absolute waste of that to where it um, dishonors the one who made it. Right. Right. And so you, you think about that as it relates to men and women. And if God has designed men and women for different roles and different functions and different purposes, like there is something that's just absolutely um, uh, shameful about just wasting God's design in that way and Mm -hmm. despising it and basically turning it on its head. And the same thing is true when you take something that's designed for one thing and use it for something else. Like there's something that's just uh, unsettling about the whole thing uh, as far as that goes. And so when you see someone using a screwdriver to hammer a nail, it's just like, what is going on? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't made for that. Now, can you like force it to do it? Maybe. Right. But if you use a tool designed for that, then you you get um, a better result, better result, you know. And so part of like this discussion is like we don't even know what our roles should be and what God's designed us to be. But what we're doing is we're kind of hobbling along, you know, using the screwdriver to hit the nail is <laughs> what we're doing. And like in and the result is just chaos. I mean, you look around us right now and it's just chaos, man. Like it's just uh, marriages are weak and pathetic and, you know, filled with conflict and disharmony and churches are weak. And Mm -hmm. my goodness, like we all rolled over like a bunch of cheap card tricks when COVID came, you know, because we're weak and like there's a problem with us. And this is a problem that's been there for years. I mean, in the church, I mean, it's just a problem of pragmatism that's been poisoning our brains and weak leadership that basically is just too afraid of the people to you know, do what the Bible says. And, you know, we, we, we've been a weak, pathetic, sickly church for a long time um, because we've just messed up these foundational things that really could help. Uh, and then our society has just fallen apart all around us. I mean, it's, you know, we, uh, 2020 is crazy, man. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's nuts. No one thought that no one would ever have predicted that that would have happened, but we've been sowing the seeds of that for years by rejecting the reason why we're here mm-hmm. in such a fundamental way. And so either we're all going to wake up and repent or we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And and kind of going along with that, isn't there a sense in which when men choose to act manly, when they behave in a masculine way, isn't there a sense in which they're demonstrating some of the attributes of God Sure. So, I mean, uh, the, the, um, you know, the Bible says that, uh, God made them male and female, uh, in the image of God, he made them male and female, he created them. And Mm -hmm. so when, you know, women, they, when, when they embrace femininity, they're displaying certain attributes of God. When men embrace masculinity, we're embracing, we're, um, uh, modeling certain attributes of God. And so uh, put us both together, we become a fuller picture of all of that, but not mm-hmm. a, a you know absolute picture in any way. But we're a fuller picture of all of that, and and God's design. Like part part of the thing is that God's design. Like like there is like one of the things that God wants to happen is like 
masculinity and femininity to occupy the same space to work off the red, rough edges uh, in both ways. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there, I mean, there is a, you know, to use the stupid expression, there is a toxic femininity and there is a toxic masculinity and, and like men in their natural state of affairs are going to be like exaggerations of masculinity. I mean, you're going to have the, I mean, just, you know, just think about like <laughs> the standard, like college student male who with the wrinkly clothes and the mm-hmm. house that's a mess and the Spartan apartment, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who throws his clothes all over ground and all of that yeah, with sinks holes and dishes. And like, there's, there is like, you know, uh, masculine, like traits can get distorted, but then you can imagine the same thing in the opposite direction to where like there are feminine traits that have distortions too. And, par- and, and you can just, you put them together in, in marriage. And one of the things that's going to happen is like it, you, what you should want to happen is that that masculinity is purified and that mm-hmm. fem- femininity is purified. But what you're not having is just the two merge into some third substance. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So the femininity is supposed to purify the masculinity. The masculinity is supposed to purify the femininity to where you get rid of the excesses and then you have the two things that are more whole. Mm-hmm. And so and that's why I hate that term toxic masculinity because like like that's marriage is <laughs> meant to refine uh, both it both ways. And if you look at it and you say hey it's imbalanced therefore it's toxic therefore I must leave you've m- missed what the point is <laughs> does yeah. that make sense yeah. like you can't reject it what you need is to purify it in both ways but but then when you purify it you're not creating a third thing you're just letting them be what they're made to be and then they function as they're designed to function and then you have a house <laughs> yeah and a home that makes sense right. does that make sense yeah yeah and I, I think that's a good place to kind of land on just being able to talk about how does this glorify God specifically, because sometimes, sometimes having that understanding, um, it can be a good kind of motivation to to want to actually do these things. If you're not the if you're not the type of person who uh, naturally trends that way, you know, and and so so we we want to be able to encourage all of you listening to basically say, hey, look, all of you guys out there, here is how you can honor the Lord by pursuing the design that uh, God had for men, so that including you and, and for women, we want to be able to say, hey, here's what you should be looking for in a man. Go and, and search and find that person because that person is going to be the one who leads you well as a husband, who truly loves you, who truly takes care of you. And so we, we hope you guys were encouraged by this episode, by this topic, um, and we look forward to Uh, seeing you guys all on the next episode. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com. Now, Go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.